Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, this is Dean Finelli with Politics and Life Science Radio, where we discuss all the issues in the life science industry and the politics that drive that industry. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited to have as our guest, Dr. Sanam Hafiz, a New York-based licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, Before we bring on Dr. Hafiz, uh, let's check out what's going on in the life science industry. It looks like the FDA authorized Moderna and J&J's booster shots. Uh, Unlike the Pfizer shot that uh, would be basically a third shot, Moderna's booster would be half of the original shot. The original Moderna shots in those first two uh, to become fully vaccinated was a 100-microgram shot. Uh, In their test, it looks like a 50-microgram shot would be used uh, for their booster. Uh, J&J's booster would be authorized two months after people got that initial vaccination with J&J. So... A lot of different information coming out on, you know, what's in these boosters, uh, how they're administered. Generally speaking, the mRNA vaccines uh, will be administered to, as a booster, will be administered to people over 65 years old and adults that are high risk, meaning uh, you have some type of situation that would reduce your body's ability to uh, generate that strong immune response. Of course, we're all anticipating at some point boosters would be available for everyone. But at this point, uh, only the J&J booster is generally available uh, to a large group of people. And if we recall, uh, the J&J efficacy we saw in those trials wasn't as high as the mRNA vaccines. Nonetheless, it provided very good, uh, was very safe and provided very good effectiveness against uh, the severe symptoms and hospitalization. Uh, In addition to the boosters being authorized. We're also hearing that uh, the FDA would allow these mix and match approach to giving the vaccines, uh, which is, um, you know, hopefully they'll put out some detailed messaging to providers and to the public because, you know, it's going to be, if you're, I'm sure issues are going to come up where, hey, I got the Johnson and Johnson shot. Uh, which mRNA vaccine should I get, Pfizer or Moderna? There's data out there that shows uh, mixing with a second shot following that initial J&J shot with a Moderna shot uh, showed very good immune response. Um, you know, and the other question would be if someone got an mRNA vaccine, uh, would a booster with J&J be appropriate? So uh, there will be questions out there that people have. Hopefully we'll get answers to those questions after the CDC 
uh, weighs in and, and authorizes uh, the boosters uh, and this mix and match approach. Uh, Pfizer came out with uh, its data showing that its booster boosted immunity greater than 95%, which is, you know, if you recall back up to where the original uh, efficacy numbers out of the trial came. So that's certainly great news, uh, meaning that third shot of a, if you receive the first two uh, Pfizer vaccine shots to be fully vaccinated, a third shot would boost that immunity back up to 95%. Certainly great news. Um, lastly, kids, a lot of anticipation when a vaccine will be available for children, five to seven year olds. It looks like uh, we'll probably learn that the FDA will authorize that. I think most people are anticipating that the FDA does authorize uh, the vaccine for children, five to 11. Uh, that will likely happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, those advisory committees are expected to meet uh, the end of this month and early November. So we could see uh, news coming out that vaccines for five to 11 year olds are authorized, specifically that Pfizer mRNA vaccine is authorized um, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, so certainly we'll anxiously await that. There's a lot of uh, parents that, you know, kids are back at school, nervous parents want to get, want to get their kids vaccinated. So uh, that's certainly good news. And I think most people, as I mentioned, uh, anticipate that there will be an authorization for children. I'd like to bring on our featured guest now, uh, Dr. Sanam Hafiz. Uh, Dr. Hafiz is a New York-based licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, she's a faculty member at Columbia University Teachers College and a founder and clinical director of Comprehensive Consultation Psychological Services, which is a neuropsychological developmental and educational center in Manhattan and Queens. Uh, Dr. Hafiz, thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be on with you. So there's a lot of, everyone's probably tired of these debates that are going on about who should be vaccinated, who should wear masks. You know, the the whole issue, it just seems like science and data doesn't matter anymore. It's just a lot of politics. You know, is there, ha, have we gone past the point where you can rationally reason with someone? Have people just dug in their heels and believe what they want to believe? Hey, look, there are, you know, we're just living in some very um, strange times where something as important as a vaccine has become against not just any vaccine, a vaccine, you know, usually has always come out against something that is really dangerous and, and widespread. I mean, this this thing has taken down the world as we knew it, except vaccines have sort of become a political issue, which honestly baffles me because I, I know we, we deal with this every day. So, of course, you become a little desensitized, but you you talk to people and you think, how is this even a conversation? But that's just me and, and maybe, you know, 98% uh, of my friends, but even I have people in, in my um, sort of, you know, periphery that are anti-vaccine uh, or at least have serious reservations about the vaccine. Um, so people have dug in their heels, but I will say that research shows that the people who have really dug in their heels, the people who are um, have no intention at all of getting this vaccine are very small. They are much smaller than we think they are. They get a lot of attention because, well, you know, every one person who's not getting the vaccine is allowing the virus to mutate. They're allowing the virus to keep spreading. Um, and of course, they're at risk themselves. So they get a lot of attention. But I, I read a study that said um, there's only about 9% of people were staunchly against getting the vaccine. 
Well, that's certainly good news because we know we keep hearing about herd immunity and getting through this. And, you know, we just never seem to, every time we feel like that momentum is getting in the right direction, it always seems like something pops up. So if you have, for example, as I mentioned, the FDA will likely authorize vaccination for children five to 11. Uh, You know, there's probably a lot of parents out there that, you know, you may have one parent that says, hey, let's get the kid vaccinated. Another parent says, no, no, this is too soon. You know, how do you kind of uh, navigate those debates among in, inside the household? That is very tricky um, because, I mean, parents differ on a lot of things when it comes to their kids. Um, you know, they're, how much TV to watch, how much electronic devices they can have and how, you know, um, what to eat. Is McDonald's OK or, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, I am in that camp. I am uh, a divorced parent of six year old boys and I am very eager the vaccine to come out. Um, I also happen to be incredibly fortunate in that, um, you know, I have sole custody and I can make that decision, but there are a lot of divorced parents, you know, who have to share custody and probably have it harder than parents living in the same house, right? Because there's a lot of other contention that goes on. Um, And then of course, married parents or parents who are together and still may not agree on um, a, a game plan for their kids. Um, that's going to be tough. And I think a lot of that has to, you have to resolve that issue with the thing that we, you know, in, in my world of uh, evaluations and custody work and forensics, it's the best interest of the child, you know, especially if you have a child with a weakened immune system or any kind of, uh, you know, underlying illness. I think no matter how much a vaccine scares you, that should scare you more. And so as a parent, if you can put your child's best interest ahead of your own concerns or your own, uh, you know, ideas about the vaccine, talk to their pediatrician. I think the prob- the best bet is trust the doctor that's been taking care of your kid. You know, talk to them if you have any, any concerns. Um, and maybe even an allergist, immunologist, if you think, you know, your child might have a reaction to the vaccine. Um, and, you know, educate and inform yourself. Um, and then it really comes down to your communication skills, you know, how... Uh, open and receptive you are to listening to your spouse and validly expressing your concerns. And like, I would say eight out of 10 conversations between spouses and parents and partners, don't make it about yourself. You know, make it about the child, make it about the issue. And when you think about five to 11 year olds, you know, that's really a very young group of people that are really probably maybe some 11 year olds are mature enough, but for the most part, their children, they need to be basically told what to do. Should parents seek their children's input on whether they get a vaccine? Certainly, you know, obviously discussion is good, but to what extent and to how much leverage should a parent uh, give weight to a child who says, Hey, I don't want to get vaccinated. Um, You know, when your kids are born, um, you know, most children have to be vaccinated almost right away. I mean, you know, like I said, I have six-year-olds. So every birthday was getting some sort of a shot or getting a booster for something, you know, um, I didn't ask them, you know, mumps, measles, rubella, you know, we went and got vaccinated. So while I'm a huge fan and truly practice engaging my children in conversations and respecting them and informing them, you don't give them you know, the, the decision-making power. You say, this is what we think is best for you. 
What are your thoughts about it? Do you want to talk about your fears and concerns? And have that door open. And most kids, uh, is it going to hurt? That's really it. Is it going to hurt? You know, yeah, it might hurt and your arm might be a little sore. But you know what? I'm um, this past weekend, my one of my sons threw up when he was with their with their when they were with their dad. And I got to tell you, I sat there paralyzed while we waited for the, the COVID test to come back. Because what symptom isn't a symptom of, a symptom of COVID, right? So I didn't know. I mean, they, they wear their masks. We try to keep them as safe as possible, but they're not vaccinated. And I was sitting here thinking, oh my God, I hope to God he doesn't have COVID. Um, and I think there are a lot of parents who want to be able to breathe easy. I would be lying though, as much as I believe in the science and the vaccine. Am I a little nervous? Of course, because any good parent should be a little nervous. You know, I've done my reading. I know what to expect in the trial that was done on the children, even though the number of uh, participants was a lot lower than what we had for the adults. There were no adverse effects and it was highly effective. And so I'm going to hope that my kids are part of that, you know, 2000 some number group um, and not an outlier. And I I just have to do what's best for them. Uh, But I'm not going to give them decision making power on that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more when you think about children and, you know, their, the, the risk benefit of, you know, should we get the child vaccinated? Should we not? I think, you know, I tend to have that same concern you expressed about, okay, you know, we're certainly concerned about our kids, but when you weigh the risks of not getting the, the vaccine with, you know, every potential little sneeze and cough that a kid has, you know, do you think, okay, does he have COVID? I think the at least for me, and it sounds like for you as well, the risks of not getting vaccinated clearly uh, don't outweigh the benefits of getting vaccinated. Uh, another question I had with regard to children is, you know, we every time you turn on the news, you see these adult issues, whether it's in schools, whether it's privilege and different issues that are, you know, tend to be adult issues that bleed down into children. You know, there's probably going to be cases where we see some children that are being bullied because either they got vaccinated or they didn't get vaccinated. Do you foresee this as an issue? And are there things that parents or even schools can do to kind of reduce this? Um, Yeah. You know, first of all, listen, children are going to experience some sort of uh, bullying at some point, or, or at least teasing at some point about something or another. I mean, you can get, get teased or bullied for the name that you got or your last name or, you know, the color of your skin or the kind of sneakers you wear. So um, if kids want to pick on, you know, whether you got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated, um, I think that conversation should maybe not be encouraged to the point where it becomes a public issue in schools. Uh, But I, you know, because it's it's a parental decision and I hope they make the right one. Uh, I do think that a lot of kids are going to basically parrot what they're hearing at home. So if there is a constant conversation about the vaccine for or against at home, the kids are going to say it and basically act like their parents and and kind of try try to lay down the law or impose their views on their peers, um, which is not going to make them very popular one way or another, I think. So you should really try to discourage that. And if you see that your child is doing that in the school or a teacher or administrator notices that some children are having these conversations, I think the best way is to pull them aside and tell them to respect their peers and their privacy. Maybe they don't want to share whether they got vaccinated um, and, you know, have these conversations with their parents 
and maybe even loop their parents into it. You know, your, your child is having these conversations at school and we don't think it's, um, you know, it's appropriate. And I, we think that it might give rise to some bullying and some peer pressure. And, and, you know, what if a child doesn't get to decide because his parents doesn't, don't want him to get vaccinated, but he's being bullied for his parents' views at school. It's not fair. Because, again, we talked about the decision-making power. Just like you're not asking your child for permission to vaccinate them, you're not going to ask your child for permission to not vaccinate them, right? You're the parent. You're making that decision. So it's no matter which way you look at it, it's an, it's an unfair trickle-down effect on the kids. This is Dean Fennell with Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking with Dr. Sanam Hafiz. Uh, Dr. Hafiz, when we you know, we hear a lot of about, especially on airplanes, people getting in fights over masks, you know, grocery stores, different situations where you have people that, for some reason, you know, see someone with a mask or without a mask and just take it upon themselves to confront that person. You know, is there a way, um, you know, how do you talk to people you know, maybe you're in a situation uh, where you're getting in an elevator or someone, you know, obviously you can just not get on the elevator. But if someone doesn't have a mask on and you don't feel comfortable and it's a situation where you can't get out of, is there a have you come across a, a, a right way or a, uh, a benign way to kind of talk to someone or, you know, to use a more aggressive term, confront someone about, you know, not wearing a mask? Um, you know, uh, I have not been in a position yet where, you know, I haven't, uh, I, I've been on a plane since, uh, you know, the pandemic started, but I've not been in a position where I've been stuck online or in a small cramped space with someone without a mask on. And I think if, you know, if it were me, I'd probably find a very gentle way to say, excuse me, sir, or ma'am, please do you mind putting your mask on? You know, I'm very close. I don't have a lot of room to move. Um, I do know that a lot of the the employees for this airline or whoever will probably address it. And this is why we're seeing so much of this, you know, this Maury Povich, Jerry Springer kind of behavior on planes these days. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I've talked about this with a lot of people and, and I can kind of, I do understand where some of this snapping type behavior is coming from, but it's quite a mystery and it's quite a phenomenon, this air rage that has been going on. Um, but, you know, we've been in, in all of us, I think, in some cramped space or in a grocery store or in a hallway where someone is too close for comfort and they don't have their mask on. And this is, you know, learning how to approach them um, is an art. I think it's, you know, you you don't want to take an aggressive or an angry stance. You want to say, excuse me, um, I don't know if you realize, but you don't, you're not wearing a mask. If you have a mask, do you mind putting it on? And if they say no, you know, try to walk away. Try your best to make sure your mask is on securely and try to walk away from them because and tell someone if there's someone you can you can say it to, whether it's someone in the building, a security person, um, depending on the state you're in. You know, not every state has the same mandates. Um, and I would, you know, mostly inform someone. But, you know, things can happen. I um, went to brunch a few days ago and realized I ended up, I thought it would be outdoors, but I ended up going through an elevator to get to the outdoors and I didn't have a mask on. And I felt awful. I forgot my mask in the car. I mean, there sometimes there are some genuine uh, mistakes and, and, you know, omissions. We're humans. We're trying to get back into the world. We're going to drop the ball somewhere. You just hope that most of the time you're being vigilant and being careful and respecting other people as well as yourself. 
Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten out of my car and started walking into the grocery store and had to make a complete U-turn and get that mask. I think we're all kind of ready to throw the masks away. (laughs) But Dr. Hafiz, thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate that really important insight. And more importantly, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on Politics and Life Science Radio. I appreciate your podcast and all the information you're disseminating. And and I hope uh, that you at least save one life every time you do that. Well, thank you for that. And have a great day. And thank you all for listening today. And we'll be back next week. And hopefully at that time, we'll have some great news on boosters and perhaps even shots for children. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.